Welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guests today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I'm your host, Will Christensen. We are sponsored by Data Automation, dataautomation.com. We are super excited today for another episode. Have a very special guest here today, Danny Carlson. Really, really sharp individual. I recently was on Danny's podcast and then participated in the shortest notice e-commerce summit show. I mean, basically, he did a virtual event for Amazon sellers right in the midst of COVID-19. And I mean, it was amazing what he was able to put together in like two weeks time. So super excited that he's here. I'm going to read his bio here, give a little bit more background on who Danny is. But Danny is an FBA entrepreneur specializing in PPC management and listing optimization. He founded the Amazon Seller Agency Kenji ROI in 2016. He's grown it to more than 10 team members. Kenji ROI has served 638 plus Amazon sellers with product photography, video, copywriting, Amazon SEO, Amazon PPC management services, and has produced more than 1,355 Amazon product listings. Danny is also the host of Actualize Freedom podcast. It's an Amazon FBA podcast and the Danny Carlson podcast, Building Agencies, Mindset, and Lifestyle. Completing more than 75 interviews with names like Daniel DiPiazza, uh, Steve Sims, uh, Manny Coates, and Kevin King. I'm going to have to work on my bio. This is awesome. Residing in Bali on his time off is spent training hand-to-hand acrobatics, ripping sport motorcycles. Ripping? Like as in like doing all sorts of jumping and stuff? I do jump my motorcycle sometimes. It is very fun. It's a, you know, a, a sport bike, so it's not really made to jump in the air like a dirt bike, but there's... The way they build roads in Bali is sometimes the road will just have a jump in the middle of it. Like they just don't really care. And so there's lots of places to catch air around where I live. (laughs) (laughs) And in your spare time, you also enjoy speaking at business events. So hand-to-hand acrobatics, I have to ask, like what is hand-to-hand acrobatics? Yeah, so um, that is a form of acrobatics where the base, I'm usually the base, the person on the bottom is standing, and then the person on the top, it's called a flyer. And then we are hand in hand. So usually they're doing a handstand in my hands. And I'm trying to balance them on the bottom. And we can do different moves like uh, push them up to extend it. Or um, sometimes I try to do like balancing on one arm and things like that. But it's really great fun. It's always uh, requires two people. Very cool. Hand to hand acrobatics. I'm gonna have to do some googling after this to to figure out a little more about that. Well, awesome, Danny. Honestly, we're super excited to have you here on the show. I'm stoked to to hear a little bit more about what you've got. So, now obviously, I've I've given your bio here. You people know a little bit of where you came from, but how long have you been kind of diving into that? And and anything else that you'd want to add beyond what you've already what we've already talked about? Yeah. So I've been growing my agency Kenji ROI for about four years now, and I started off in Vancouver. But for the last four years, or the last year and a half, rather, I've been living over in Bali, and the team has been pretty much completely remotely distributed. So our operations manager started with here, me in Bali, and then he went back to the UK for COVID. So right now we have 
me in Bali, just by myself, operations manager in the UK. And then uh, our creative director and photo and video teams are in Vancouver. And then we have our graphics team in the Philippines. So we're, we're very distributed all over the place there. But Amazon FBA is my, my peer focus for the last four years. There you go. There you go. And when you focus on something like that, you begin to really get your teeth into it and start to understand some of the do's and don'ts, so to speak. Specifically on our podcast today, we asked you to consider some processes to talk about. Processes where you either automated, delegated, or eliminated. I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit more about the specific process that we're going to dive into today? Yeah, absolutely. But firstly, I want to just touch on what you mentioned there about putting your focus into something for a long period of time and just how important that is to actually being able to figure out these kind of solutions and the best things. Like I was just talking with my friend at the gym the other day and he makes tons of money from ads, but he also loses tons of money from ads. Like his business is all dependent on Facebook ads. And he just is always trying to hit a home run all the time and do all these different things rather than try to focus on one thing and just get really good at that. And that's when you can create really good processes like the one that I'm going to share with you guys right now. So just a kind of overview of the process, it's basically whenever we get a new order from a client. So whenever a client orders through our checkout system, it goes and creates all the different tasks in a task management system, Google Drive folders. Uh, sends out emails, um, sends upsells, and and a whole bunch of different stuff. So um, do you want me to just uh, dive into the, the details of this automation? What I want to ask first, so broad overview, this is when someone goes into your, uh, goes onto your website, and they click the purchase a package button. Like, like tell, tell us a little bit about how this process gets kicked off. Yeah, so that's when any invoice is paid. So a customer can do that manually themselves through our self-checkout system, or more commonly, we will have sent them a custom invoice, and then they just pay that invoice. But that is the trigger for the automation. Got it. So it's upon payment completion, and that's either through a custom invoice or them logging in and, and paying that invoice. And then you've got a series of things that go on after that. Okay. Whenever I get in and find out about a process that's been automated, I usually discover that there were things going on behind the scenes that caused you to want to go that way. So I'm curious, tell me about this pivot point. What, what did this look like before it was automated? And, and what caused you to be like, oh, this really needs to get some automation in it? Yeah, I mean, really, it was, you know, it does take a bit of time to do all this stuff, but it was user error was the biggest reason why we wanted to automate this is just a lot of different moving pieces. And it was causing problems amongst the team, like someone would be missing a file or something, or someone couldn't find this because the folder wasn't set up or, or, or different things like that, just really basic things. But they were causing roadblocks with the team. And there was like a virtual assistant, I think at the time, just manually doing all of this stuff. But it wasn't done instantly. And it wasn't done with 100% accuracy. <laughs> and um, it was a real shame because it, it was fairly simple to automate this and have zero accuracy. So that was, it was, and a little bit to do with time as well. So like the lag time was a bit of an issue. A customer would order something and then maybe the virtual assistant responsible wouldn't be able to get to it for, you know, five, six, seven hours or something like that. And then, then the team really can't do anything with that. And there's confusion. So those are the two main reasons. Got it. So like most processes, as you went in and, and dug in there, 
was it originally given to a virtual assistant or was this something that you were having to do originally? Who did it the first time? Um, I guess the very first time it, it would have been me doing it. Um, it was something that was pretty quickly handed off to a virtual assistant. When I started this agency, I, I already had a full-time virtual assistant from a previous business that he took over with me. So I was pretty lucky with that. But really at the time, I wasn't nearly as sharpened as I am in creating these kind of automations and processes. So it was, to be honest, probably just kind of passed off without any real good standard operating procedure in place and just like, hey, do this whenever this happens, go. <laughs> hey, uh, create this task over here when this happens, because uh, go. That sounds like most battle plans. That sounds like most businesses when you're in the middle of it, you're trying to figure it all out. You're trying to see where it goes. And I mean, it can be a real pain uh, to understand and, and, and get where you're looking to go. I totally hear you. And I, I find that my processes often go that direction. My clients' processes actually go that direction. So it's a natural tendency for it to first be delegated and then be automated and, and look at that. And it's, I also find that a lot of times when it's delegated, it's not done very well, that can create some headaches. There was some pain there associated with some of the the errors happening with it. It sounds like there there was some pain there associated with some of the delay, perhaps uh, that that kind of popped in there. But it was pretty quickly something you discovered as being fairly low level in terms of you know not a lot of huge thought being needed in keeping this going, right? Exactly. Yeah, it it was something that it was very if this then that, which you know whenever something's like that, then it, it means that software is probably the better option. It's interesting how often, and you know, when you say if this, then that, my brain obviously goes to like IFTT or something, you know, one of those other services out there. If you're listening and you're like, IFTT, I've never heard of that. Go Google it real quick. It's a, it's a pretty cool platform that allows you to connect a lot of more consumer end things to different systems. So you can like say, you know, Alexa, what's on my shopping list? And you can make it actually send everything that's on your shopping list to your phone as a text message. Uh, it's totally free for consumers to use. Pretty cool platform. So it, when you talk about if this, then that, uh, that's where my brain it, it immediately goes. And it makes me think, man, I should have bought that domain name way back when. No doubt. Integromat has been really cool for us as well recently. It's like a, a more advanced version of, of Zapier for a lot of people listening. You know, you do need more kind of tech experience to figure it out, but it's way more powerful, I feel like. Really cool. You know, it's interesting. Integromat, I've played with Integromat as well. And the one thing that I feel like Integromat, where it falls down a little bit, is the number of connections that it's got. Now, obviously, you can build your own and do do some of their own stuff. So they've got some neat things going for them that way. And we're huge Zapier fanboys over here. So we, we, use, we use all the different systems that we can find as far as automation is concerned. And we've been pretty impressed with some of, some of the different things that we see there. But, but the lack of some of the connections uh, seems to be where where we lean towards Zapier instead of Integromat in a lot of situations. So it kind of, it's interesting how it kind of plays out. Well, awesome. So, so as you dived into this, what made you decide it? And now, now you got me curious, are you using Zapier or using Integromat? What are you using to, to fire off and, and trigger this automation? This automation is all done on Zapier. Uh, we only started using Integromat maybe three or four months ago for some more advanced stuff. And that that's all exciting, but this one is totally built on Zapier. I think it takes advantage of the the branching function, which is um, you know maybe a little bit newer of a function. But I I forget how many steps are in this. It's like a twenty seven or thirty step zap or something like that. It really, really saves a lot of steps. 
That's a that's a hefty one. So so for those of you who have using Zap who are using Zapier, you'll you'll know immediately twenty seven is is quite a few. The average I see on a on a Zapier Zap or a Zapier workflow is somewhere between three and six. It is the average you can get most things done in in that much. And then I've built several that are in the realm of thirty two to, <laughs> to to several like that. And and it's at moments like that where you wonder. Is this something that should have been programmed somewhere else? But then, you know, you start looking at the number of components that are connected in different places and you realize, hmm, maybe this is where where things were were meant to be. So it sounds like this has been something that's been worked on over time. It's a, a 32, did you say 30 or 32? Uh, like somewhere somewhere around 27, I think. 27, okay. So, so 27 set zap, something like that. And you're using the branching functionality, which is new. Uh, Zapier just recently, within the last year, came out with the branching technology. And they, they call it paths. When you got in there and started working on this, was this something that you sat down and automated all at once? What, what was that like? I think it was automated all at once, but it was iterated on for sure. We changed over different softwares through time and we just improved it, improved our processes. And so we updated that based on that. And actually, we just updated it again recently. Um, as our process changed. So I, I think it was all done at once. And like you said, it was basically the magic of it was bringing together like five or six different softwares all talking to each other. And like, really, that's where the value came from. Awesome. So so there's three questions whenever I automate something that I like to ask, where's the data now? Where does it need to go? And what happens to it in between? So let's talk about where's the data now. So the data now is in our checkout software. So we have a software we use called Service Provider Pro. And that's where all of the client invoicing happens is where the order management is and, and everything kind of lives in there. So the client has to fill out a pretty detailed intake form with their project data. So that that is the trigger. And that's also where all of the information lives. And then where it's going to one Google Drive, um, and different Google Docs slides and sheets. Then it goes over to Trello, to various Trello boards. We have separate Trello boards for our photography, graphics, copywriting, and video teams. It goes to another Trello board for sample package tracking. So when clients ship us their product sample to shoot photographs, we need to track that. And it goes over to Gmail to send an email. And then also uh, back within Service Provider Pro to add notes to the, uh, the order. Awesome. So uh, definitely going to a lot of different places there in terms of tackling the different pieces of it. Tell me a little bit more about so So you mentioned that this was kind of automated all at once. Did you have, like, like you said, the standard operating procedure when you very first handed it off wasn't very well written out or anything like that. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, in the beginning, it was it was like we didn't have things figured out like our folder structures and maybe a folder structure seems really not that important but when you have a team of you know 10 or so people working on the same project as sometimes then it's it becomes very important because then you can just make sweeping sweeping instructions and all of your standard operating procedures go to this folder and this folder and this folder and you only have to give the instructions once and it just takes the burden off any team members having to communicate with each other or, or things like that so I didn't have any of those kind of really basic details figured out. It was and actually manually creating the templates in Google Drive is actually very time consuming, even for a virtual assistant. Like it's just not 
fast. You have to like right click on the template and create copy. And then you have to manually go through all the folders to put it into the correct folder. And it's very clunky. You can't like drag and drop things around Google Drive in that way. And so that part created a lot in the, the manual package tracking. Like we just didn't really have a lot of the Trello boards that we have figured out now. There's also automations within Trello uh, through something called Butler that is very useful there. So that I was getting quite messy. And then our emails were, were not really set up that well. We have our email sequences and active campaign. So um, back then, I think they maybe got like one intro email. Uh, when they purchase and that was about it. And now they get put into an email sequence that has a lot of really good information and push them through the right steps and everything like that. Um, and then pumps them out into another sequence once they're done with that one. So we, we just added in a, a lot of the tweaks that make it a lot better. Awesome. So there's two things that I wanted to point out in there. One, you talked about folder structures and I totally want to talk about folder structures for a second because Folder structures can get you in all sorts of trouble. So I want to put a pin in that. We're going to come back to it in just a second. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, are you currently using the curly brackets template thing that Zapier has built in? So, so Zapier has this really cool integration with Google Docs where you can actually generate a mail merge-esque type document using Zapier and Zapier will dynamically look for anything that you put in double curly brackets. Are you guys using that functionality to create some of these templates? Yeah, yeah, we are. And that's, it's very useful because it's just one less thing that a virtual assistant can like not screw up, you know, like just little things like that. A virtual assistant would often just have a typo in the client's name or something like that. We, we put the client's name in our document and they would like spell it wrong. Well, with the Zapier automation, that's not a problem unless the client actually spelled their own name wrong when they inputted the intake form. Well, <laughs> and then if, if they, maybe it would happen. If, if they did that, it's their own darn fault at that point, right? If you're, if you're listening to this podcast, open up your browser, go and just literally type in Google Docs template Zapier. The topmost result is how to create and auto-populate a Google Talks template. It's Zapier's link to that. We'll we'll put the put those links in the in the show notes here. But uh, if you're if you're out, you know in some place where you can't see those show notes, if you, if you just Google that, it'll come right up, and it literally you know walks you by step by step how to essentially create an offer letter or a, a contract template or anything like that. It's so powerful in terms of creating a mail merge-esque type feature. And you don't need anything super expensive to set it up. It's, it works with the normal Google Docs connector that's on, on Zapier. So that's huge. All right, let's shift gears. And I want to talk about folder structures. To go back to that, tell me about folder structures. Why is that a pain? Well, it's a, it's a real pain because if you don't have a proper folder structure set up, one, your automations are are not going to be as clean as they can be because maybe you need to create some files and then put them into a specific folder. Then you're just throwing everything into one folder. It's kind of messy. And there's there's different workflows too. So we have the photo team, we have the graphics team, we have the copywriting team, we have the video team. And if they're all just operating on the same files in just one bulk client folder, then it, it gets really messy. And so especially when we have working files, like between all of those teams we're talking about, we're talking about like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of files to to create this project. And so we have the, the Zapier automation create separate folders for all of those teams. So within each client folder, we have the, you know, the, the photography client name folder, the video client name folder, the copywriting client name folder, and each team operates 
within that folder. And then the automations can go and create the right templates and then put them into those folders. So all the teams are not just getting having to sift through all the other teams' images and files and everything like that. And probably the biggest upside of that is that in our standard operating procedures and training documents, you know, we can we can onboard a brand new graphic designer and they can read through a training document and they know exactly where to find the files. And then they know exactly where to upload the files for every single project going forward. We don't have to put those instructions in every single set of instructions we sent to the graphic designer because that's clearly communicated and is consistent. Yeah. And I want to share with everybody a couple of tips and tricks that I use when I'm doing naming structures for folders. I often will cheat and I will make some specific things that I do when I'm naming things. If I, I like to use the natural alphabetical sorting features that come with a lot of folders. And I actually created for myself a series of categories that I would put things in. And so this is my personal Google Drive uh, that I'm going to I'm going to read off some some uh, titles for you of the, the top level folders that I put inside that drive. So the top one, the very topmost one is exclamation point current projects. And so I'm totally hacking the, you know, the way that all of that comes in to put that exclamation point in there because exclamation points come, I don't know if you knew this, but most of the time when you sort a folder, special characters like exclamation points and those others come before even numbers. And then I go down and I got another one in here called 000 temporary. I created a folder which is specifically designated as a temp folder and everything inside the temp folder can be deleted. So if you ever get that that warning message that says, hey, your Google Drive folder or your Dropbox folder or whatever folder is running out of space, buy more. I just immediately go back over and I delete everything in the temporary folder. So coming up with naming structures and specific uses for your folders is totally key to that process. Another another couple of examples here. I have 01A Church. That's that's my 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 folder in here. And so for me, I'm very religious, and that for me is one of the most important things. So it's got the 01A folder, and I go down the list, and I've got about five or six different categories. So everything re- related with 01 one is is related with religion. And then I go down, and I got I've got another one that's for family, and I got another one that's for housing, and another one that's personal, and another one that's transportation and health, and I kind of go down. And I created a categorical system for this is for my personal Google Drive so that I could have the same idea of like a standard operating procedure for my own life. We just finished uh, purchasing a home. And when we purchased that home, um, I needed to save a whole bunch of documents that, you know, like the, the all of the inspections and all of that other stuff. And I've actually got a naming structure that I've generated for myself for when I save those documents based on the address of the place that I'm going to. So you may think I'm crazy, but but what I've discovered is that if you create these sorts of procedures for yourself, that um, when you come back in the long run, it's almost like a new employee trying to figure out where to upload that file. They can't figure it out either. But if you've created a pattern for yourself um, and you follow that pattern over and over again, it's just going to be a lot easier in the long term. So I, I love hacking that system. The, the last tip I'll show you for naming, stru- naming structures is the ZZ, 
um, when I have a file that I, I'm not ready to delete or a folder that I'm not ready to delete, but I want to archive it. I no longer want to see this file in the midst of everything else that's there, or it's a, it's a prior copy of something else. I will rename the file and I will put ZZ or triple Z, ZZZ in the front of the file name. And that drops it alphabetically down to the bottom of the list. And I've just, that's, that's something I've been doing for years. I ZZ that folder. And so it's a way that you can archive it without creating a whole new folder called archive and put it on the at the bottom so that you can still see on a top level what you have available to you. So just a couple of random tips. Do you have any anything like that, Danny, that you use when you're trying to name things? Um, so we use the ZZ tip when, when uh, archiving portfolios in Amazon ads because Amazon ads actually has no way to archive portfolios they, you can create portfolios there's literally no way to delete them or archive them so that's that's the best way to do it is just add the zz in front of it and just knock them all down to the bottom um for our naming structures we don't take advantage of the alphabeticness um alphabetical sorting feature but we do use letters just to signify like what the folder is for so um the photo folder for each client is starts with p underscore and then client name the delivery folder for the client starts with d underscore client name and so that naming structure just allows us to very easily reference that between team members like um you know there's nothing in the d folder for this client, um, we need, you know, we're missing this in the D folder. It's like, well, did you look in the P folder? And it's just like a very clear naming structure. We don't have to like have all these fancy names. Like, well, did you look in the folder titled edited uh, 2005 42? So, <laughs> because that's where the file is. You know, it just <laughs> simplifies things a lot. Well, and the, and the powerful thing about that is when you name things correctly, you can start to do generic, like like a trigger. Let's talk about a trigger inside Zapier. If you name every single thing correctly, and you may not have this set up yet, maybe you do, for that D folder, I would be setting up anytime a new file gets put in the D folder and has that D underscore in it, because you can do a wild character naming, right? I would, I would set up a filter step that anytime a new file got created and it was created inside the D folder, send a Slack notification, right? And, and, and just hit up everybody and let them know, hey, look, there's a new deliverable. No need to go look for it. I already told you it was there. And they don't even have to go ping the rest of the team. And and it just gives you that ability to do automations like that, right? And if, you're, if your naming structure is not consistent, well, then you've got to do a listener for every single folder and a new trigger. And it just isn't scalable, but it's powerful when you can actually use a naming structure that works. Absolutely. All right. Um, well, I think that that we've beaten the naming structure uh, to a bloody pulp there. So uh, we're, we're in good shape there. If you have any questions about naming structures, feel free to reach out. Um, it, it's a, a powerful way for you to kind of look at that. So um, you've mentioned several different pieces of software um, in there. Any other pieces of software that you want to get out there for the listeners as they're considering automation and you know this process that you've tackled? What 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 pieces of software are you using that you found have have helped you automate, delegate, or eliminate? Um, I mean uh, the first the first one. These two softwares that we use together are pretty much you know, 80% of, of the business management. So Trello and Service Provider Pro, and we can't really use them without each other. Service Provider Pro, the best thing about it is it keeps the 
invoicing and the client communication and order management all in one place. Really, really valuable for that. Just keeps everything contextual, but it doesn't offer very good granular management. So it's a great as like the central hub of all the information for each project, but actually, you know, there's, there's so many people working on the project that it's just really not good for granular task management. And that's where Trello comes in. So um, Zapier, we use that. So when every new order comes in through Service Provider Pro, maybe this order includes uh, video and it also includes photography and copywriting, then we need new tasks created in all of those different Trello boards for the different teams. And if we put it all in one place, like if they're all working in the same SPP order, then it would just be a total mess. So we have the Zap that goes and creates those and there's a different template within within each Trello board, depending on what kind of order it is. So if they ordered a silver photo package, then the silver photo package template shows up in the right column in the Trello board. It shows up in like the, the to-do column uh, and then assigns it to the right person. And that kind of granular task management makes things so much easier because we can use the columns in Trello to create automations as well. So when an item in the Trello board is dragged into the for approval column, then whoever's the, the manager of that, of that Trello board just gets a notification and they, they will approve it or send back revisions and stuff like that. This makes things way easier to, to manage on a granular level. I love it. I, I want to I touch briefly here for those entrepreneurs that are listening. Did you hear what Danny was talking about when he said the SPP product? He, he just rattled it off. He just said SVP. And many of us who are, are used to acronyms, I immediately started searching my mental database for SPP. And I was like, SPP, SPP, that must be something internal. And then later he said the silver photo package. Is that, is that what a, was that, is that what SPP stands for? Um, SPP actually stands for service, service Provider Pro. They call themselves SPP there. So I probably should have explained it. that better. No, 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 that's okay. The reason I wanted to point out SPP is because um, we get in this mode of a vernacular and we get focused on it. But I also think that it's it's important to recognize here that you have a silver package. And so I wanted to point out the acronym um, because I wondered if it, if it related to your uh, silver photo package, right? Because that, that that's SPP as well. And, and what I really want to point out is that you have built products, and I'm assuming it's bronze, silver, gold. Um, in terms of, of what people can purchase. Is that accurate on your side? Bronze, silver, it's gold? It's silver, gold, platinum. You know, just a marketing thing. You don't want to have the bronze package. You want to have gold. Gold is the middle one and platinum. So there you go. Good one. There you go. Yeah. Okay, safe. All right, all right. <laughs> silver, gold, platinum. And, and what I want to point out with that is um, what Danny's doing seems like it could be very custom. And, and, and his clients probably feel like they're getting a custom feel. But um, like we talked about in, in the last episode that I was on, where we talked a lot about, um, it, it, and actually this episode was uh, done with uh, another, another FBA specialist, we were talking about the idea of the e-myth. And we were talking about how you have to systemize and productize your business. And so I think it's powerful, Danny, that you are like just by showing us or, you know, talking about that silver package, you probably could rattle off. Oh, this is what's in the silver package. Oh, this is what's in the platinum package. Oh, this is what's in this. That took time to productize. And until you go inside your business and productize things, it's going to be very difficult for you to automate all of these different processes. So take a note that if you're still in the middle of like, I just kind of do whatever people ask me to do. I get on calls and people are like, oh, yeah, can you do this? And I'm like, well, yeah, I can do that. 
that's called generating value, but not productization. So, you know, Danny, when, when people reach out to you and, and just ask you like, hey, can you handle XYZ new thing? Do you tell them, yeah, absolutely, I can handle that? Or are you looking for something that you've already productized? Yeah, so we kind of do that in two ways. If people ask for a crazy XYZ thing and we don't offer it, we will refer them out to one of our referral partners. We have lots of uh, you know other other companies and contractors that we have partnerships with in the industry, and we can refer our people to. Uh, some of them we get an affiliate commission for, some of them we don't, but um, at least we can help that customer out. Uh, second way we deal with that is we have we have a la carte pricing for some of our services that we price much higher than our, our packages. Like it's much more appealing for people to get one of our, our packages, things that we have productized. It's just, eh, we just make that way more financially attractive. And if people do want the a la carte stuff still, then they can pay for it, but they're probably gonna be paying around double what, um, what the value that they would be getting inside one of the packages. Wait a minute. So, are you just as um, are you just as as financially profitable on that stuff where you've doubled it? Or, I mean, what's what? Why would why would you why would you offer it at such a discount? Um, it's not it's not really that we're offering the packages at a discount. It's more that we're marking up the the a la carte stuff to to such a high level because we want to incentivize people to go to our packages. Okay, gotcha. And and what is it about the packages that make it uh, that much more effective for you? I mean, it, it, if they buy that package, I mean, I would imagine that part of that is part of the reason you don't take on the custom work is because you figured out how it should work and you figured out where it should go and how it looks and everything that way. Um, tell me about what it looks like uh, for you as you, you know, as you as you jump into the more systemized stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the custom work always takes longer for the team. It takes more for, you know, the operations managers got to figure out some like weird things. And then the team maybe gets confused and gets slowed down on a few things. And there's more communication back and forth. Maybe it requires some custom instructions written up by the creative director or something. And like, these are all things that we have to factor into the pricing of those custom things. But those are all things that also don't show up in the the productized services. Those productized services, it's we have very rigid standard ways of producing that work that the team already knows, and it it's just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So that's the reason why we can offer that one at a lower price is because it's more efficient for our team. It actually does get produced at a lower cost, and um, a lot of a lot of newer freelancers, especially, really forget about pricing in all of the extra stuff that goes into all these custom packages they're doing. Like, think about the the sales process alone is additionally much larger sales process. Like, just creating a quote for a custom project like that is a significant extra time you have to add into there. Absolutely. I mean, we use a product called Practice Ignition for all of our contracts, and um, when you want to do something custom, you actually have to go in and add a new product. Um, and that capability alone, uh, it, it's not just a blank Google document. It's actually forcing you to add a new product, forces you to stop and think, oh, should I really be getting involved with this new idea or this new product? And so, so I want to point that out for people as you're, as you're thinking about this. Part of uh, this amazing, you know, process that Danny's been mentioning is a because he has um, specific products that he's productized in his business, and, and that's part of what makes uh, a business successful is creating a rinse and repeat solution that can provide that much value. 
Absolutely. So, Danny, tell us, uh, you know, just to, to wrap up on that process, about how many hours, let's go a week or a month, whichever is easier to calculate, um, or even per time that you think it goes off, how, how much time are you saving having had the 32 or the, the 27 steps inside that Zapier? Let's see, per month, probably about 30 hours per month. So, I mean, that's almost an entire part-time VA. I mean, if, if you're, if you're, if you've got somebody at 10 hours a week it, to, to jump in and handle some of that, um, that's pretty powerful. I, and I would be willing to bet that, you know, in a month you might pay 10 bucks for that, for that entire zap in terms of the number of actions that you're consuming. That's awesome. That's awesome. Prime example of good, good use of automation time. Well, and that's not factoring in like any kind of mistakes or, or things that would come up if we were using manual labor instead of instead of automation to you, it's just like if everything went well, probably around 30 hours, but more often than not, there's some problems that are created, something got missed, something got done incorrectly. Um, and there's other roadblocks too that are slowing down other team members. So it's probably much larger than that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, super appreciate you being on the show with us today. Any parting piece of wisdom that you would want to impart to the other entrepreneurs that are listening? Um, yeah, it's actually just happened to me recently where I've been trying to figure out a process for a long time and a good solution, couldn't find a good solution, just couldn't find good softwares or a hack of together different softwares. And the best solution was right under my nose. And it was the simplest one. It was Google Slides. And I, I feel like we have the tendency to just go towards complicated solutions because there's so many fancy softwares out there that like we're always looking for the perfect fanciest solution and we don't consider sometimes the simplest solution is the best solution and i'm of the i'm of the philosophy that if the simplest solution is available then that's the one that should be done and the fancy stuff is one overrated and two like causes more things to break and you know probably more expensive on the software side and all these things so google google sheets google docs google you know slides really really great for so many things and i think it's really underrated yeah no i 100 percent agree with that 100 percent agree with that you you definitely i mean that that kiss metric keep it simple stupid right like you gotta look at it in terms of what what you have in front of you um what what's there um any specials or services that you want to uh shout out for the for the guests yeah so for brands that sell on Amazon, we do listing optimization um, and creation services and Amazon ads management. So on the listing creation side, that is the full stack that is video, A plus content, photography, copywriting. Uh, and we've been doing that for four years. So got a really good team around that. And then Amazon ads management is just all of the ads on Amazon. Um, there's video ads now too. So a lot of our clients are getting videos done for the video ads. And then uh, those are performing really well. Cool. Awesome. 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 And Danny, if someone were, were to want to track you down and, and ask you more questions um, about that uh, 27 step zap or, or otherwise, uh, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, feel free to just DM me on Facebook. So uh, I am Danny Carlson on Facebook. I have a profile picture that's like some weird blue alien face. So pretty easy to pick out there. And I'm uh, always happy to that. respond. You're never going to change that. <laughs> It's it's gonna it's gonna be the the weird blue alien face forever. Is is that from from a movie? Is that from uh, Avatar? 
It, it kind of looks it. like it. I just told uh, one of our graphic <laughs> designers to like, hey, make my face look like this, like half turning into the the blue crazy alien thing. And uh, <laughs> I thought the result was pretty funny, so I keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely recognize it when I see it on Facebook, so... All right. Well, uh, thanks again for being on the show. That's it today for our episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Paul Christensen.